2: on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Well, Dean, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? I've got a
4: couple of questions. What kind of cost are you looking at for, for financial services such as yours? Well,
1: I never go ahead and mention advisory fees on the air because they differ according to clients. We charge at our practice. We charge by the hour. Some planners go ahead and give a flat annual fee. We do offer that to certain clients. Other planners go ahead and charge any number of types of either by the hour or by the quarter, by the month, by the year, by the plan, and so forth. But if you'll call the office during the week, Linda will go ahead and she can discuss that with you a little more. My job tonight is to really to sort of educate you as to what's out there and how a planner functions.
4: Okay good, good. The other question I had is about re- retirement. I'm sort of remiss in getting any retirement plan started. but I uh, recently uh, talked to an insurance agent who suggested that I or suggested a plan for me and, and when he brought forth the plan, it essentially was a whole life policy uh, and uh, investing a certain amount in that each month and it building up over a period of time. Uh, and I really was trying to find out if there you know, one, is that, is that a sound way to go about it? I mean, obviously, I guess I can use the additional coverage, but I feel like I have enough life insurance coverage.
1: Life insurance is an arrangement between you and an insurance company that you will pay a small amount of money, called a premium, as you and I know, and that at the time that you die... The insurance company will pay your beneficiary a whole bunch of money. And if you go ahead and buy a $100,000 policy or a $500,000 policy and you go ahead and make the first monthly premium of maybe it's only $500 and you die the next month, then your wife won because she got a half million dollars and you only cost her $500. Okay, that's the gamble and that's called, that's called risk management. That's exactly what it is legally. It's risk management. Interestingly enough... It is against the law in North Carolina, according to the insurance commissioner's regulations, to use the term investment with regard to insurance.
4: One of the things he was saying was that, one, it would accumulate the... Money would accumulate
1: tax-free. When you think about what's accumulating in your insurance policy, what you're doing is you're paying more money than the real cost of that insurance, and it's going into an accumulation account that is cash value. But before it gets into that cash value account, first come the commissions that go out, then come the uh, administrative cost of running the insurance company and so forth. So that cash value, yes, you are able to borrow out your own cash value, and yes, it does accumulate, tax-free, but my goodness, you if, if your goal is to accumulate money, do it over in a mutual fund or an investment. Because the day you start to take money out of that insurance policy, out of that cash value account, you're basically taking money from your future widow. You see what I mean? You're borrowing from the death benefit. And if you borrow out long enough, you'll collapse the insurance policy. So don't confuse the two. Insurance is not a retirement vehicle. It's not an investment.
4: So essentially, if I've got enough money to invest, Additional sum of money each month it would be better off even if it's not tax or maybe there's other way to do it tax free.
1: Absolutely. First we do need to look at the risk coverage necessary and buy an inexpensive 20 year level term policy if we need to go ahead and have a certain amount to cover but the amount of money for retirement you need to put that money monthly into an investment program but I just wanted everybody out there to understand that insurance is for death protection and investments are investments and we shouldn't confuse those two
2: and if you have further questions call the office in raleigh at 919 that's 919-USA-7000 and we appreciate your calling okay, thank
1: you. and you can also go to our website dougandlinda.com com.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis's on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: So in total financial planning, what is the first thing after we've gathered all of the data and about the client, what's the first thing that we need to address?
3: We need to analyze their situation, find out what their current financial
1: status is. And then after we've analyzed it, then we need to go ahead indeed and look at what is the need for insurance? What is the need? That's right. Yeah, That's right. exactly right. So it's not a matter of we ignore insurance. Oh, no, no, but no, no, insur- no. But if it's a single person who has no wife or children, then probably no need for any insurance at all. If it's a married couple uh, with young children, and maybe one the the one earns the live the, the the income, and the other's a stay at home spouse, then that income. Is it needs to be needs protected? Yes. Yeah. So all of that needs to be covered immediately, first of all. But from there on, now we don't confuse insurance as an investment vehicle. No, 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 no.
2: And we need to understand that uh, if a person purchases insurance, they're transferring
1: risk, right? That's why they're doing it. That's exactly right, Linda. Um,
2: And if they purchase the insurance, there's a commission attached to that insurance.
1: Which is fair. That's fine as long as it's needed to cover that risk. Exactly. That risk.
2: So uh, when people buy insurance, they need to ask, how much is this going to cost me? And how much are you insurance person getting paid for the transaction. But the more important thing is to remember that insurance is not an investment.
1: That's right. So and, then after we've covered that, then we do need to go ahead and go to, what about accumulating for investments? Where am I financial future? That's exactly right, because the probability is much higher that you're not going to die than you are going to die.
3: Yeah, and I, th- I think... Um, <clears throat> You know, you have to you have to be careful to not merge goals or merge parts of your financial planning into one and try and make one thing solve two problems. You really have to know insurances for risk management and covering that income that might be lost. And retirement planning is retirement planning. That's
1: right. That's exactly right. And, that, know, and I, I was glad that he asked the question about what does it cost? Because if you ask that question to somebody you call on the phone and they say, oh, we, we'll give you a free meeting, then just remember there is no free lunch. There's no free lunch. If somebody says, oh, we'll be happy to meet with you for free, then as you said, Linda, there's got to be something somewhere so that should be a warning right away and just as he was concerned about and which is why there he called there may be this, a
2: sales pitch coming well there, there has to be i
1: mean it's not a matter nobody meets for free and does things for free obviously so, you just need to go ahead and realize, as he did, he he, sh- he wanted to pay for advice. And I and, was glad.
2: And it's important to remember that each person, I agree with both of you, that each person's situation is different. And the need, whatever the need is, it exists. So, what you right. want to do is get proper advice, to see, to have an analysis, to look at your situation, to sort it all out, to ask the questions that you've had, that you wanted
3: to ask, and to get proper answers don't trust these decisions to chance hire the right advisor give us a call at lewis financial management 919-872-7000 and let us help you create a sensible plan and you know what's funny is that um just as an aside there was an article recently um about how in the same way that this question was merging together should my insurance policy be life insurance policy be paying for my uh, so, you know uh, helping me fund my retirement. In the world of securities licenses and life insurance policies, I'm sorry, life insurance um, or just insurance licenses, that's what I mean. They are often merged and people don't
1: know who can sell what. It's been a long time coming, but I, I'm really happy to see that some former securities regulators are now bringing it to the table that there is an abuse happening. Now, there's some older stockbrokers who lost their licenses, but they found a creative way to keep selling investments to their clients by using their insurance license. And this is where the regulators are honing in because basically a salesperson can pitch a variety of financial products if they are covered, wrapped wrapped by an insurance (laughs) wrapper and everything. So this is uh this is this is the new disclosure that happened it, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal within the last week there was an article uh if you do something bad enough to lose your securities license then this one person says you probably shouldn't have an insurance license either and the I think the that individual was one of the regulators in one of the states and everything a lot of states actually do have some uh, some provisions to start stopping this matter because if a person has done something bad and lost their stockbroker's license, their securities license, then it's my feeling they should be prohibited from... Now, just doing the same thing under under an in, in, an a, insurance uh, license.
3: Insurance license, yeah. Typically, states require brokers to have securities licenses to sell financial instrument, instruments such as stocks and bonds. Insurance licenses cover products such as fixed annuities, which guarantee the buyer will earn a minimum interest rate for the term of the contract. And variable annuities, however, or variable annuities, however, are considered securities at the federal level, but may be treated, but may be treated as securities or insurance products, um, or by both. But, you know, but there's a there's a there's a um, confusion as to is it the federal or the state saying that the variable annuity or the fixed annuity is a is a security or an insurance product.
1: The actual article pointed to different states that have regulations that coordinate the two and those that don't. And the article said that states without coordination, brokers then fall into a regulatory black hole with nobody watching them. And that means for the public, it's a disaster waiting to happen. So exactly as Linda said, you should find out. How the compensation is going to be given to you? Are you getting an insurance commission? Are you uh, licensed as a stockbroker? What is it? But the article was a big warning, and I think we're going to see more of that this year with the new regulatory environment that we're under.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis's on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us at Lewis Financial Management at 919 8727000 in Raleigh. What are the tax implications? of converting a person's 401k.
1: Well, when you say converting it, converting it to what? To a Roth? You to mean a Roth, Roth conversions? To Roth IRA. That's exactly right, Linda. The subject of Roth conversions is also going to get a lot of attention this year. It got a lot of attention last year. There was a, uh, a writer who wrote into the News and Observer, and the question written by the writer sort of went like this. I'm thinking about converting my 401k to a Roth IRA this year. I retired late last year at age 65. I have about 750,000 in my 401k. I I'll receive a five-year payout from my company, about 40,000 a year when I retire. And this plus social security should be adequate to meet my expenses until I'm 70 years old. So I don't need to tap into the Roth for at least five years I think I have enough cash on hand to cover the taxes owed on the conversion. I figured a conversion is going to help lower my taxes since my Roth will not have to make any required minimum distribution when I hit 70 and a half. I'm divorced. I want my daughter to inherit my IRA. What do you think? So that was the question that was written in. And I think it's really interesting because we get that question again and again and again. We have to think about this. What is the Roth conversion all about, Deborah?
3: Well, it'd be taking something that hasn't been taxed, income that's that you uh, your employer um, allowed you to put aside, right, and then converting it to an account to where you would pay the taxes on it,
1: right. And then what's the benefit of doing that? That's called a Roth. Right. What,
3: so the benefit here would be to take, to have your now after-tax dollars be able to grow and continue to grow in a tax-deferred environment.
1: Because the Roth IRA allows you to take everything out later on tax-free. That's right. As long as you meet a couple conditions.
2: You have such, to pay the taxes up front, right? When you do the conversion?
1: That's right. But the benefit is once you've got it set up, if you wait five years— everything can come out tax-free.
3: That's right. It gives you the ability to use now after-tax dollars and let them grow in a tax-deferred environment.
1: Okay. And so that's what this lady wrote in to the News and Observer about, and that's exactly what we get so often. The big issue here is how much is it going to cost to convert? Yeah. that. Yeah. Now, on a $750,000 uh, tax, uh, 401k, 401k plan, yeah. plan. it's probably going to cost federal taxes of over $250,000. Then you got to add in North Carolina taxes. So the big question is, well, does it make sense for me to pay a quarter million dollars or more right now so well, that it will be able to n- not have any taxes later on when it comes out? And that's very complicated. The big issue is, Do I want to take a quarter million dollars and give it to the IRS right now?
3: Give us a call at (laughs) 919-872-7000. We look forward to meeting with you. Right. Right now, you're in a situation where you have something that hasn't been taxed, and it can remain so indefinitely. Exactly. Especially if you don't need to live on it until you age 70. And I shouldn't say indefinitely, but just until age 70. So the real question is, why would you you want to induce or incur this tax?
1: And many, many people are still asking this question, should I do it? Because they're being promoted very strongly. I think what's needed is a professional who can use a database— Such as we at Lewis Financial Management, we create a database to analyze this, run the tax projection before and afterwards, and see, does it make sense? Because you can't just answer that question very simply. You need a financial or tax advisor who can analyze your personal situation and help determine if the conversion makes current financial sense. So, what's the negative to it? The negative, of course, is that quarter million dollars that you gave in taxes, you can't invest it. Right.
3: So if you're interested in this, you definitely have to come to the end of it with yeah. an
1: answer of analysis. That's right. So, you know, if, if you have that amount of cash lying on hand, you can invest this money rather than use it to pay taxes. In the lady's case who wrote the question, her daughter could inherit the investments that that quarter million dollars got invested in. And then when she died, she'd even get it tax free as a step up in basis. Right. <laughs> so now we get really complicated here. All right. For example... You invest $250,000. It grows, let's say it's 6% after taxes. You die in 20 years. Okay. Well, what's it could be worth then? Over $800,000 right. that the daughter would then be able to receive, inherit, and sell tax free because of. St- so, whoa, all of that got avoided if you convert because that money never was available. Right. All right. Then you have the question of well, what about the 401k? What could be done there? Well, she could roll that over to an IRA and let's say get that invested at 7% over the years and then what might happen even if she started taking out her retirement, you know, her 40 her required minimum distribution year by year, if she died at age 85, then the daughter might go ahead and still get who knows? 1. Maybe 7 million. another one point seven plus the eight hundred. So, so you might end up with numbers like two and a half million, million. versus <laughs> right. a fortune. Yes. It gets really complicated because there are a lot of things to consider. You got to consider what about future Medicare premiums? What about future changes in the tax law? And uh, what
2: about if this person decides they want to get married in the future?
1: There's, that's right, Linda. This person got,
2: is only what sixty five. Yeah. Around 65. And so, you know, I met someone that got married at 70.
1: (laughs) I think the bottom line here on the Roth IRAs, just like the charitable trust, Linda, the bottom line is you need to consult with a professional such as we at Lewis Financial Management who will be able to build a database, run the analysis and then see which way it works out better for you. You can't just answer the question because a column in the newspaper or a column on, online said do Roth IRA conversions.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the
3: Lewises on News Radio six eighty WPTF. Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face to face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is nine one nine. 8727000. That's 9198727000. All
1: right, Keith, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you this evening?
5: Yes, good afternoon. Sir, under what circumstances may one withdraw from their IRA? I understand there's educational purposes, health problems,
3: and or if you're planning to buy a residence. I would like to buy another home in another state staying over one-half year in that particular state.
1: What's your income, Keith? Oh, half a million. All right, you've got a half-million-dollar income coming in, and your expenses, I'm sure, are less than a half-million a year. Much less, yes. Then uh, what is the—how much is in your IRA? Oh, probably about uh, $300,000, 400000 something of that nature unless you retired from another company and you rolled over that old retirement plan into an IRA. Correct. Is that what happened? Yes, sir. Okay. Then you have a rollover IRA. What you're remembering is that there are ways that you can go ahead and re- and remove money from a retirement plan and not pay the 10% penalty tax, but this money has never been taxed and the IRS will get its tax. The additional 10% penalty sometimes can be applied. Now, Mm -hmm. you could get this money out because you're over 50, and we could do it in a series of systematic payments, but no matter how you get it out, you're going to pay tax on it. Okay. To take it out and pay tax on it now, I don't think that's the way that I would advise you. Hey,
2: Keith, have you you ever worked with a financial planner?
1: I did work with one at
3: one time, and there's Uh good and there's bad, and I received your portfolio initially, and obviously, uh, Mr. Lewis uh, has tremendous credentials regarding
5: name. Uh, it's just that I want to give you a call and ask you a question over the phone.
3: And we
2: appreciate your calling. So, you know, if we can be of any further assistance to you, just give us a call.
3: Okay. In the meantime, okay. have a pleasant evening. All Bye. right.
2: Thank you, Keith. To any of our other listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. If you have some financial planning concerns or questions about your situation, get a notebook and start jotting down some of those questions and work with a financial planner.
1: You know, Lynn, uh, one of the things that, uh, that Keith is remembering, and it's really interesting, the, the, the rules that happen on retirement plans and how to get around or how to, I shouldn't say get around them, how to maximize the rules. Keith's question was not one that a lot of people have, but a lot of people want to know, is there a way to avoid the 10% penalty tax? And yes, there is a way to avoid the 10% penalty. Now, you cannot avoid the income tax when you take the money out. Because that money has never been taxed. But that extra 10%, which on taking out you know, a significant amount is significant, right, can be avoided by using one of the very little known rules called the series of systematic payments. And the series of systematic payments will work. He could actually have set up, if he wanted to get money out, which he doesn't need to, but if he wanted to, He could set it up over a period of nine years and take the same amount out each year for nine years and avoid that 10% penalty.
2: People generally have... But some people are confused uh, about their retirement plans, particularly if they separate from a company. And, you know, they they feel that now that I'm leaving this company, can I access this money? Or maybe there's the temptation to do so. But they don't always understand that there is a tax, right, Doug, and a penalty. So you're really not getting everything
1: that uh, you thought you were getting because because Uncle Sam's going to take his portion. Well, it's back to social capital. Social capital is the part of your wealth. That's not yours. It's destined for society. Learning how to control your social capital is the crucial distinguishing feature.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: And you can also go to our website, dot com. Well, Doug,
3: Linda, there was an article about the minuses of the parental plus loans.
1: Well, since... We happen to be your parentals. Exactly. (laughs) That's Deborah Lewis on the air. (laughs) Hi, Deborah. Good to have you with us this evening. Glad you're on the air with us again. I remember seeing that article. Go ahead.
3: Well, what I found interesting was is that there are a lot of people, and we are probably uh, one of them, who recommend the Parent Plus program, which is a federal program um, for parents who are trying to figure out a way to pay for college.
1: Well, that's right. And for parents who are struggling to afford college, The Parent Plus programs may seem like an attractive option. These are federal programs that let parents borrow as much money as they need to cover the full cost of school minus any financial uh, financial aid that the student gets. So you don't have to do any qualifying here. You can uh, make a half million dollars a year. You can send your child to Harvard and you automatically will be approved for the Parent Plus programs. So in that sense, it's very good. But uh, if you look a little further, and this was the emphasis of the article, uh, the loan may not be as good as it sounds. So we have to think this thing through. I mean, there are ways that people approach it. Uh, One way is they go straight to their 401k. And they can borrow money out of their 401k.
2: Many people have that option.
1: Uh, That's right, and a lot of people go that route. I think that is the worst thing possible. You should, in my opinion, never borrow from your 401k uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, it's been designed by you to accumulate tax-free towards your retirement. Number two, when you pay that money back that you borrowed, you're paying back with after-tax dollars, but the money that you put in there was with pre-tax dollars. Uh, All of these... Uh, are are reasons why you should never borrow from the 401k.
3: So and the, it's a bigger risk, isn't it? And the God forbid situation, what if you were to lose your job? Right. And now that loan that you took out to pay for your child's education is now going to be immediately due.
1: Right. So that is a big problem. As you say, Linda and Deborah, that's a very big problem that you don't want to walk into because uh, you don't have to. You've isn't got the it, Parent Plus available. That's the first option. Right. There's another way to pay for it, and that's using, if you qualify in your home, a home equity line of credit. And that can be a smart choice, but I I don't really think that's the way to approach it, which one is the lowest interest rate. Again, somebody is looking at this through the wrong set of glasses. My view is you need to realize if you've got a child and get ready to send them to Duke, if you take a Parent Plus program out, Parent Plus loan out, they let you spread that over 10 years. Now, when you start spreading it over 10 years, you're talking about X hundreds of dollars per month. And yes, there is interest, but that interest is on uh, that one loan, that year, and the money is working for you. Again, it's an investment decision. You should only approach either of these options. The home equity, which might be a lot cheaper, but you can't get a fixed payment on a home equity by... Uh, like a 10-year payment. You might refinance the home, and that's the third option. But I think these decisions need to be made with the help of a certified financial planner. We do do this in our office all the time. If you're out there listening and you have a child who is getting ready to go to college or uh, is already in college and you're wondering, you know, what are the pluses and minuses of the Parent PLUS Program loans, How does this work? Indeed, there are negatives, and you need to work it out. And uh, my final advice would be, don't touch your 401k.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000. Well, there
2: was a really outstanding article in the USA Today, and it was on investing makes Women anxious. I agree with that.
1: (laughs) All right. What was the uh, what was it about the article that you liked so much?
2: Well, it it was a very interesting uh, situation, sad in a way, but it was a life lesson, uh, I believe, well learned. Um, Here's here's a family, and you've got a husband and wife that are in their thirties, and it took uh, Kim's mother-in-law to go through a divorce. So her mother-in-law went through a divorce, and when it happened, she went to her son, who was a CPA, um, to get advice on how to figure out how to manage her investments. Um, And so, you know, here we have a family where the wife was taking care of the the family's day-to-day expenses. So we're talking about a young couple And here we have the wife taking care of paying the bills and the daily expenses. But her husband has always been the person that has managed their investments.
1: Well, that's interesting because, you know, Linda, women are actually gaining financial independence to an unprecedented degree. They now make up the majority of college graduates. They're nearly half of the labor force. They're becoming the primary earners in many families and yet most of them that i have met and talked to are still uneasy or even uninvolved when it comes to talking about money and managing money
2: yes it's confirmed by a comment that the uh, the the woman in the story you know the the 33 year old said i knew nothing about it i was just so ignorant about it that it made me scared. And we, you know, I know that this is a very common thing for many young couples and housewives and single moms that dealing with money and making decisions about investments is something that's not something
3: they deal with on a daily basis. Wouldn't you say? Well, I would. I would say that managing expenses isn't usually the problem. It's but making investment decisions that worries um, most women, and, and unfortunately, most retirees and the people who are going to be handling it the longest are going to be women. You're going to, in general, outlive um, your spouse, and uh, I think that's why it's brought up so much. We
1: And then there's the divorce rate. There's, there's an and incredible then you're, number of uh, statistics now of marriages that face divorce, and then you have this, widow, this uh, divorcee who has this lump of money, and she's very often frozen, paralyzed, doesn't know because it has not been her function thus far. And now how does she handle it? She's afraid of it very often.
2: Um, It it was interesting that um, a certified financial planner was quoted in the article. You know, if you you fast forward 15 years, if you're the young couple or the young housewife, and 15 years from now, if something happens and your husband dies or... Um, uh, some crisis comes up, then what happens is the wife doesn't know what to do in terms of managing the money, and the problem is that there's going to be a lot of bad decisions that are made, there'll be a lot of economic waste, and on top of it, a lot of scared people. So it, d- don't you find that in our practice,
1: Doug? Well, I do, that and a I, lot of... well, I thoroughly enjoy the fact that the ones we see, they're eager to learn They're eager, I would say in my experience, and I hate to generalize, but I would say that if 80% of the clients that come to see us are, how can I say this best? I have a much higher uh, receiving statistic from the women than the men. The women are more eager to be educated. They want to know. And when you pop some of the myths that are out there they've heard about, they're really happy to have it clearly stated and so forth. And so I find there is a hunger to learn what is investing all about? What is financial independence? How do you compute it? How do you face the matter of all the other issues? Cash flow planning, investment planning, insurance planning. Should I have wills and trust? Should I have stocks or bonds, mutual funds? uh, What is risk? All these things, once you start to share these with the women that come to see us, I'm finding it very rewarding. But they do come with a huge gap.
3: If this sounds like you, definitely call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And I think that's where most of, of the people who call into our office during the week begin with when they just talk with me is... I have a concern that I don't know enough. Can I come see you to learn more? And then it opens up this whole conversation. So while maybe male or female, people begin with um, an uneducated point of view, I think that's where the the financial planner really begins the conversation. This is an area where you're not supposed to be an expert, where we are and we can help you.
1: You know, I've heard other financial peers of my own uh, financial planners who are who are my peers say that their experience says that women don't like financial jargon they find it very unwelcoming they want to tune things out when people are explaining to them from a performance per, uh, performance perspective but on the other hand uh, they do enjoy much more a longer conversation uh, when you sit down with uh, a man very often, Some of my peers say it's going to be boom, 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 numbers, numbers, numbers. With a woman, it's more comfort, security, financial security in the future. Uh, And that is, uh, I like that. That's really financial planning as opposed to speculation and investing uh, with uh, playing with, you know, from the speculative viewpoint.
3: I think those are the kinds of details that are important, you know, to recognize for all investors, but especially if you're an, a, um, an, a woman out there in a similar situation with this responsibility placed on you, that that those, those are generally the uh, conversation starters. How do I gain that sense of, of uh, comfort and security? You know, it's it's interesting that
2: um, although women, you know, they've done studies. And women uh, supposedly will live longer than men, but uh, a lot of women also are still in the generation where it's more accepted for a man to drive those decisions about investments, about, uh, right, I mean, this is, the article was quoted as saying that, and, uh, and, and, Part of the problem is that they just lack the knowledge because a lot of them haven't needed to do it in the past. I mean, just like your mom.
1: Right, Doug? That's true at the older set, but also the younger set, too, Linda. I'm thinking of a couple that we met with recently, and she's the high-income producer. She's making uh, over $200,000, and he is not making maybe half of that. But on the other hand, she just loves what she does, and he is the one who is making the investment or has made the investment decisions in the past and so forth so even in the younger set i'm finding that the uh the the woman when she comes to see us really uh doesn't have a very good handle on financial concepts of investing but is eager to learn i uh, I do think that women need to get over their perceived inability to grasp financial concepts because they grasp it much faster, in my opinion, than the men. They I agree.
3: Just, I agree. While well, this article <laughs> pointed out some things. I think that's where the conversation begins and that it changes when you're with, working with a financial planner, yes. somebody who really wants to educate you. Immediately, those gender stereotypes go away because everybody is concerned about their security that's right, and their financial future. And I think that's where the conversation um opens at, I, I don't know how things are going to ha- uh, be handled, or how am I going to retire, or how are we going to pay for the kids to go to college. But once you put those questions out there in front of a financial planner, then they are able to say, well, well, well here, th- these are the things that we can consider. And
2: it was interesting, um, you know, this financial planner that was quoted said, when I speak to women, it's a longer conversation. And when I sit down with a couple or even a single man, our conversations are driven by investment performance and numbers. So when I'm speaking to a woman, it's more often about comfort and security, right?
1: So if you're out there and you're a woman, don't <laughs> delay.
3: <laughs> Work with a certified right. financial planner. It's your retirement too.
1: <laughs> it's your retirement too.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 That's 919
1: Hi, Joe. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, along with Deborah Lewis and Linda Lewis. How can we help you this evening?
5: Yes, uh, I have a question about the refinance the house I got. And uh I need to know, how do I get refinanced uh, without paying closing costs?
1: Well, right now, the best way to refinance without paying closing costs is to ask them. Many times, they will do this for you. Uh, it's, they're in a very competitive market right now. But I don't want you to pay the closing costs, even if there are closing costs. Tell me a little bit about yourself first, Joe. How old are you? I'm about
5: 63.
1: 63. Tell me, are you married or single? Single. You're single. And is uh, your home, this is your home you're talking about?
5: Yes. Uh, what's the
1: value about, of your home? I'm sorry? The value of your home?
5: It's about uh, 250,
1: 260 around that area. Okay, $250,000, let's say. And what's the mortgage that's That's owed on it?
5: It's uh, two hundred.
1: All right. So you have a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage and what are you presently paying? What are the interest char- what's the interest rate right now?
5: I'm paying like five point seventy five right now.
1: All right. So you've got a relatively high mortgage compared to what's out there. Um, tell me a little bit about your investment world and your income. Are you working, Joe, or are you retired?
5: Yes, I'm working. I make like between 50000 to 60000
1: a year. All right. So your income is fifty to 60000 a year. You're single. Are you supporting any children or just yourself?
5: No, just myself. I get no credit card payments, no car payments, no nothing.
1: All right. What about your investment world? How much do you have accumulated so far in non-retirement investments?
5: I got nothing there
1: either. Okay. So you've been spending everything you make, huh? Yes. All right. So you have no investments. That's not real good. Uh, what about your uh, retirement investment, your retirement portfolio? What do you have there?
5: I have some money there. I took it out and it's nothing there left either.
1: Why'd you do that?
5: Well, because I needed it. I had some. I was out of work. I had to take it out.
1: Well, here's the, here's the answer. If you. First of all, your situation does not look good. You need to start accumulating very fast, correct? Yes. The way you can accumulate is to start what we call a pay-yourself-first investment plan, meaning every month you need to invest a certain amount. And the way we get that amount is by analyzing your living expenses. So we analyze your living expenses, and then we find out what it is that you are spending every month, and then... The difference between that and what you're bringing home each month needs to be invested at the beginning of the month. In yeah. So included in your expenses, you have this mortgage. What is your present mortgage uh, principal and interest payment?
5: Uh, the, when I first when I bought
1: it. No, right now. How much does your mo- monthly payment? Oh,
5: it's about uh, sixteen hundred.
1: All right. So you're paying sixteen hundred a month, yeah. and. What period is the loan? Fifteen year or thirty year?
5: Thirty years. Thirty year. VHA.
1: All right. If you refinance this loan to a new thirty year loan
5: mm-hmm. and
1: you tell the the bank, the lender or the credit union you want any closing cost to be wrapped into the new loan. Yes. You will probably have a difference in payment of about half what you're paying now. Yes. Now, we're just using make-believe numbers, but let's say that the new payment, instead of 1600 a month, is $800 a month. Yeah. That $800 a month needs to be invested every month by you as part of your Pay Yourself First plan. Yes. And then the closing costs don't matter because whatever the closing costs were, they were wrapped into the loan, and they were spread over that 30-year period, so it becomes a, uh, a non-event. The only reason you should do this is to be able to start accumulating, and you accumulate by means of reducing the mortgage payment and investing the savings. Does that help, Joe?
5: Yes. Yeah.
2: That would be great, wouldn't it, Joe, to, to reduce your, your mortgage payment?
5: Yeah, but I called every place, you know, they have commercial on radio here and there for refinancing. They all, they, uh, you know, they need the uh, closing, they charge closing costs. So
1: that, that's right. And, and they, but they're, but they are willing, as long as there's enough equity in your home, they're willing to wrap the closing costs into the loan. Uh, Joe, if you will call my office, write down my phone number nine one nine.
5: Yeah, get it eight seven two seven thousand. Very all good. Right, all Joe. right,
1: <laughs> all right. Now call the office tomorrow and speak to Deborah, and she will schedule an appointment for you to meet with me. Okay. Very good, Joe. Thank you for calling. Thanks.
2: Thank. Have a
3: great week, Joe.
2: Thanks for calling. Yes,
1: you too. Bye.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is nine one nine. 872-7000, 872 Another big area that, that uh, you can uh, find yourself needing a lot of advice on is estate planning. And when when we're talking about estate planning, there are some things uh, that are out there that we may not know a lot about, but they are called living
1: wills. Living wills are very much a, a part of what we do in our firm at Lewis Financial Management, for our clients, we make sure that on the estate planning side, that you have an advanced directive, which is a set of instructions that you give, which outlines your health decisions in the event that you're unable to make those choices yourself. And uh, one of those is the living will. The living will has nothing to do with what you think of when you think of a will. A will is what where my assets are going to go when I die. Right, a, a li- will
3: would take effect at your death,
1: you know, after I'm, after I'm dead. That's right. The living will can be very specific with regard to your medical treatments, and there are some specific medical treatments that you can consider and put into your living will, such as pain relief. How is it going to be managed if I become unable if I become uh, disabled, incapacitated. incapacitated in the hospital, uh, what about pain relief? How is it going to be managed? So let's l- look at a situation. You're
2: driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you're in a bicycle accident. And you didn't plan on this happening. It was a sunny day, and you had a bicycle accident. All of a sudden, you can't walk. You can't go to work. You can not even feed yourself. So who's going to take care of you
1: if you are in not, the hospital? That's right, Linda. Because if you have not had a medical directive created ahead of time, then the hospital will decide how much pain relief you are going to receive and how it's going to be managed. What antibiotics are treatment uh, as treatments for infections? Uh, what about artificial feeding? All of these things you can put in your own living will, your own health care power of attorney on your own. And what about cardiopulmonary resuscitation? What about ventilators, breathing machines? All of these things, we make sure that in our office, the client has already covered all these bases, as you said, Deborah, as part of total financial planning.
3: So So when you leave uh, instructions in a living will, you're basically uh, taking the Taking, taking the initiative to go ahead and write down, well, if something were to happen to me, I'd like this person to That's speak right. for me. That's right. And I'd like for them to speak on my behalf with these things in mind.
1: That's right. We used to call that the health care power of attorney, that I am leaving power of attorney to my wife or to my daughter or to my uh, this person who will have the right to override what the doctor says. This person will make the decisions about my health and my body, as if I were
3: able to speak,
2: able for, to myself. speak for
1: myself and no. everything, now that health care power of attorney is very often part of the living will.
2: You know, there are various stages of life. And, you know, as we get older, our needs change. And as a caregiver, there are health decisions that have to be made with the loved one for whom you may be providing care and it's a very sensitive subject so if you have not created a living will for yourself make sure that you put that on the checklist of one of the things that you need to address as well as health care power of attorneys your will if you have a will and you need it updated put that on the checklist and because your estate has grown and your assets have grown, you may need to consider a revocable living trust. Right, Doug?
1: That's right. All of that should be what's going to happen this year. Awesome.
3: And if you are, like a lot of people in the United States, um, getting married maybe late in life or a second time, there is often a consideration of whether or not estate plans and prenups should be a part of that uh, consideration before you tie the knot. If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919 872 That's 919 872
1: You know, Deborah, I'm glad you brought that subject up because uh, as recent as last year, we had two cases like this. Uh, prenuptial agreements aren't just about protecting assets in case of divorce. Increasingly, these contracts are being used as an estate planning tool by men and women. And so, these prenuptials are particularly popular because of shifts in the demography, dem, uh, the, the demographics of marriages later, second marriages, and so forth. Most people are remarrying later, and baby boomers are now starting to take estate planning more seriously. So you can use these prenuptial agreements on this second marriage as an estate planning tool. What happens when I die? What? I came into this marriage with either does or does not go to my second wife. Uh, Maybe it goes to my children. Uh, We can put into this prenuptial, which of course we did last year for clients. We can put into it the matter of the home. Now we're living. Who you know?
3: Right, a first home, like the one that you're sharing and living in as your primary residence, or even a second home, uh, a prenup can protect those assets from becoming mixed in with assets and property accumulated during the marriage that would be divvied up as part of someone's estate after death.
1: And You know, Deborah, this is a real flashpoint right now. Vacation homes between surviving spouses and stepchildren. Uh, we can come up with a lot of different ways to make it exactly what you want by discussing it in the office as part of the total financial planning. We can do what's called Qualified Personal Residence Trust. Those are called Cuperts. We can go ahead and have uh, uh, lifetime benefits to live in the home for the second spouse after the first one has passed away but then maybe it passes to the children it just needs to be part of the whole financial planning process not just which mutual funds do I own
2: you're listening to money matters with the Lewises on news
3: radio 680wPTF. Sometimes, when the situation is dire or sad, or you're facing a serious illness, um, this is this is really when some people uh, are not paying attention. Who had not been paying attention really uh, sit up straight and start getting concerned about what to do, you know, in their own financial planning. Um,
1: you know, Deborah, this is another area of financial planning which. Many people totally ignore. We call it pre mortem planning. Yes. Uh, let's say that you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Well, in many cases, that's when people let their finances fall to the wayside. Nevertheless, coming up with a financial plan right at that time may be very crucial. I can think of a number of situations which we have had through the years, even last year. Uh, There can be bedside planning. You may want to go ahead and change the ownership. Uh, You've been diagnosed with a terminal illness to change the ownership of a of a piece of property, for example, that, you, that your wife and you own together to move it into your name so that the step-up in basis will occur at the time— At your death. At your death, and inherits. then it goes back to her. It can then be sold tax-free. What about the investment portfolio to redesign it in such a way that it meets your needs over the remaining months or a period of time? But all of these things need to be talked about, not need to be ignored.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.